Yes, well, the world is really upside down, and no one is more upside down than that benighted dimwit of a twit that is the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. This broad has got to be out of her mind. But I don't mean that in a derogatory way towards other ladies and women throughout the country. I use it to describe her specifically because she really is a loon. When asked by a reporter at a recent press conference, she defended not requiring negative COVID-19 tests or vaccine proof from illegal immigrants, saying that, well, they really don't plan to stay here that long. We just check them for symptoms. You can't really compare them to people who come in on a plane. No, heaven forbid that we ever compare them to people who follow our laws and, <laughs> laws and come here legally. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury podcast, The Jamie Dury Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, we encourage you to do so. You can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, or you can download the free Podbean app from either of those two app stores. Simply search out The Jamie Dury Show and click subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to leave reviews, comments, ask questions. If you have any questions for me personally, you can either send them by way of a review at either of those locations, or you could email me directly at our new email address, or rather my new email address, jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. That's J A M I E. D-U-R-I-E-1776 at gmail.com. Before we delve into Jen Psaki and this whole issue of the vaccines and the COVID and the immigrants and so forth, uh, today, uh, now that everything has been signed off on and done, I want to give you just one time the big reveal, although I may be referencing them from time to time. Uh, but not equating myself with them or taking any credit. A lot of people have been asking why I changed the name of the show. Well, I gave you several reasons why, and, uh, and those reasons are valid. They weren't just made up. I began to realize when I first started uh, the show, I did it under the name of a website that I had created about four or five years ago, and I created that website after creating a Facebook page of the similar uh, same name, National Preview Online. I got the idea because I wanted to be forward-looking. I'd always had great respect for uh, big conservatives like Bill Buckley, who started National Review magazine, uh, and he did it uh, ostensibly to stand to thwart history and yell stop. That was a direct quote from him. But I felt that with the passing of Bill Buckley in 2008, National Review magazine have sort of lost its way. It doesn't carry itself like it did when Buckley was at the helm, and even when he had retired, but was still alive and involved as the editor emeritus. So I didn't want to compete with National Review Magazine or National Review Online, and I didn't certainly want to copy them. I was trying to distinguish myself from them, thinking that preview and review were two different things. One is looking backward, reviewing where you've been or what has happened, And the other was looking forward to see what might happen and how we could change it. Well, apparently that didn't set too well with the people at National Review, because about three or four weeks ago, I found out that I was the subject of a lawsuit in federal court for trademark infringement. 
they thought that it was confusion uh, from me using National Preview Online. They said I was more edgy than they were. I was not as measured. Um, and they wanted me to stop using it. Now, I was told by legal experts that trademark infringement lawsuits are very difficult to win on the part of the people who bring them. So in all probability, there was a, a better than 50-50 chance that if I had litigated the issue, I would have prevailed. But they're in a better position to be able to afford to lose than I am. I did this mostly as a way to bring information to people. I enjoy talking about conservative subjects. This show has not made any money, although it is growing in popularity, but not to the point yet where it's making advertising money. So it seemed to be throwing money away by attempting to litigate them. And then it also caused me to reflect and reevaluate the podcast, reevaluate my whole conservative mission. Originally, when I founded the website, National Preview Online and the Facebook page, that was going to be the primary means of communication by way of writing articles. But it has become apparent to me that people in 2021 are less inclined to read than they've ever been. People have been sort of turned into, uh, well, shall we say, a lazier population than when I was growing up. They prefer to passively consume information by having it spoken to them, books on tape and so forth, and uh, listening to podcasts and CDs and things on the, uh, nobody even uses CDs anymore. Now they use, you know, their iPhone hooked up with Bluetooth or watching TV. Uh, People don't want to read as much. And so I started the podcast as a way to reach an audience. And then it suddenly occurred to me after the lawsuit and reevaluating what I was going to do that the podcast is now the primary means of my communicating with people. The website is simply in support of the podcast, whereas the website was the main deal. It is now only an ancillary service. It's something that we're going to do in support of the website. So we took the website down because it had the National Preview Online URL, and we're going to put up a new one with a different URL. But since the podcast is our main thrust, it's now a show. And if you look around, the most successful shows are shows that bear the name of the host. The quintessential example, of course, is the Rush Limbaugh show, the late, great Rush Limbaugh, the greatest talk radio host of all time, the most popular, biggest, most widely listened to show of all time, the Rush Limbaugh show. Sean Hannity, popular name, what does he call it? The Sean Hannity show. Mark Levin, his podcast, The Mark Levin Show, or Life, Liberty, and Levin. His name is involved. Dan Bongino, one of the most popular podcasts, The Dan Bongino Show. Matt Drudge didn't call it the Matt Drudge Show, but he called his thing The Drudge Report. That was his site, and he also had a radio show once a week. So the point is, it's very, very trendy to use your name. It makes a lot of sense, and most of the questions, inquiries, and things that were communicated to me about podcasts that I've done so far, all addressed me personally, and none ever really mentioned much National Preview Online. So I thought I was not losing very much by removing the name. So I signed the agreement with them, and they were very good about it. Uh, It was not a very, very 
one-sided agreement. It was a very fair agreement. Um, I think it's, I think it was a, a little bit shocking that they would come after me, considering that I have not made any money, and I don't think I've hurt them in any way. But I must be gaining popularity and traction somewhere, because it got their notice, and so I consider that a very good sign. Uh, because personally, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong because I don't think anyone has a monopoly on the word national. I don't think anyone has a monopoly on the word online. And preview and review, although only separated by one letter, could not be more different in their meaning and import as a consequence of that one letter. So I thought it was nothing uh, untoward about uh, using that name. But that's a thing of the past now. We're not going to be using it anymore. Uh, the only time we'll ever make mention of it is if it comes up in conversation in a historical perspective of what we used to do but no longer do. So going forward, this is the Jamie Dury Show. <laughs> Unless somebody else tells me they want to sue me for Jamie Dury as well. So uh, that's just to get that out of the way. But again, in doing some research, because you know you don't realize how involved it is to comply with one of these orders because you have to remove all references to the name. So you had to take down the website. I had to change the name of the show. I had to change the logo. I had to change the name of the Facebook page. I had to change the different email addresses. I had to change a whole host of things, advertising. And then in the course of this, um, they mentioned that there were two sites that my name of the show was still up there, sites that I had no knowledge of. And one was called Listen Notes. And it was very interesting when I went to that site, they had my site listed. I wasn't advertising there. Apparently, listennotes.net or whatever it is, .com, is sort of a Nielsen rating for podcasts. And they rated my podcasts on scales of 1 to 100. And then they tell you where you fall in the overall listenership. Well, my podcast rated 24 out of 100 which is not super high, but then again, they say that you have to look at it with respect to other similarly situated podcasts that cover your subject matter, not necessarily uh, in, in abject or absolute terms. In addition to that, they said that I was in the top 10% of podcasts listened to. Now, I don't know if that was the overall top 10% or if it was the top 10% of similar type uh, podcasts. So that's food for thought. Either way, I thought it was very, very good that we were that high because apparently um, the majority of podcasters abandon their efforts to do a podcast after simply seven episodes. We're up over 160 episodes and I have no intention of slowing down. So, I wanted just to communicate that to you so that you know why we changed the name. It just wasn't all arbitrary and capricious. There was uh, a reason that uh, acted as the impetus for the change. But having said all that and having listened to my explanation, uh, I'm very happy to make the change because I think it's actually going to wind up to my benefit and not hurt me. Um, so, take that as you will. So, a few things I wanted to talk about. Now, you know, the last time I spoke on the show, 
I spoke how I was very surprised that there was pushback against these vaccine mandates in many blue states, Michigan, New York, a federal judge in New York appointed by Clinton had to stay on New York employees getting vaccinated. And now I'm shocked to learn that the North Carolina hospital system, that's still a red state, although it's getting bluer, may become purple soon, suspends hundreds of employees after the COVID-19 mandate. Now listen to this article. Beginning this week, approximately 375 team members across 15 hospitals, 800 clinics, and hundreds of outpatient facilities have been confirmed to be non-compliant and are not able to report to work, stated a press release from Novant Health, which is based in North Carolina, but operates in other states. So this is a healthcare system working in North Carolina. Uh, It suspended hundreds of employees after the firm implemented the COVID-19 mandate, adding that workers who refuse to get vaccinated after five days will be fired. Now, this is really over the top. Now we're going to fire people who refuse to put something in their body that they feel they don't want, that they don't trust, that they may feel they don't need. And we talked about this the other day. I still don't understand what the justification is to mandate people who have already had COVID and survived it and have an antibody count five times higher than you can get from any vaccine that uses antibodies like Johnson & Johnson and certainly higher than everything you can get from Moderna or Pfizer. So they're looking to fire people now. We're going to fire people like Nazi Germany. You will take the needle or you will get fired. They will have an opportunity to comply over a five-day unpaid suspension period. If a team member remains non-compliant after the suspension period, he or she will have their employment with Novant Health terminated. The firm then claimed that about 98.5% of its workforce are compliant with the policy, meaning they have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, and they have until the 15th of October to get the second shot. Now, they are granting exemptions to this. And the exemptions, I assume, are either based on religious grounds or people who can demonstrate a bona fide health risk. People who have been, um, have exhibited allergic reactions to vaccines in the past uh, that don't want the vaccine, they're probably getting an exemption. But if you can't demonstrate a health issue, why you can't get it? If you can't demonstrate a religious exemption, you're going to have to get it or be fired. Now, it says here in, the, in this article that they're referencing a similar move with the Indiana University Health, another health care provider, 125 workers. The biggest hospital system in that state, Indiana, they parted ways with the company according to a news release issued last week. Those workers did not comply with the firm's vaccine mandate. Indiana University Health has put the safety and well-being of patients and team members first by requiring employees to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by September 1st. After a two-week unpaid suspension, ending September 14th, a total of 125 employees, the equivalent of 61 full-time employees, chose not to receive the COVID-19 vaccine and have left the organization. Now, all this is happening as Joe Biden announces that he, uh, on September 9th, that he would direct the OSHA, 
Occupational Safety and Health Administration to penalize private companies with 100 or more employees if they do not comply with his administration's COVID-19 mandate. Under the mandate, the details of which have not been released, according to this article, private sector workers would have to either get the COVID vaccine or submit to weekly testing. Now, at least they're not making you get it, but they're trying to make it so difficult for you that they're hoping you will relent and get it. Submitting to weekly testing is ridiculous. As far as I'm concerned, you want me to submit to weekly testing? You provide the testing. The president also said he would mandate that all healthcare workers who are employed at facilities that receive Medicaid or Medicare funding get vaccinated. So let's get this, let's get this straight now. Any facility that gets federal money, their employees have to be vaccinated. Republicans have criticized this. Some union bosses have criticized it, saying it's a federal overreach. Uh, Some governors and state attorney generals have filed lawsuits saying that that power should reside with the state. But here's my big question. And again, I've said this before. You folks come here as much for validation of what you're already thinking as you do for new information that I may give you. Isn't it curious that with all of these mandates, all of this flexing of administrative muscle on the part of certain governors like the former governor of New York, Benito Cuomo, and um, our dementia-ridden president, Joe Sleepy Joe Biden, that the people who are making these laws, the people who are leading the cry, the people who couldn't stand Donald Trump, even though he brought us the vaccines, which they said were no good when he was developing them, but now they're mandating everybody to take them. The Congress of the United States, the House of Representatives, and the U.S. Senate are exempt from Joe Biden's order. Private companies with 100 employees or more have to be vaccinated. But the 435 federally paid employees of the government, even though they're elected officials, they're employees, they work, they get paid by the government, and that money comes from us, they don't have to get the vaccine. The hundred folks that sit in the senator, the upper chamber, they don't have to get the vaccine. So once again, we're back to that same old little catchphrase, rules for thee, not for me. If the Congress of the United States wants to sit idly by while Joe Biden mandates everyone to get a vaccine um, and not do anything about it, that's fine. But there should be nothing in there about them not getting the vaccine. Make them get the vaccine, put that in the executive order, and see how quickly the tune changes on Capitol Hill. Everybody will be doing a different dance. All of a sudden... They'll be talking about how we should encourage everyone to get it, but mandating is not the way to go. We're not Nazi Germany, but because they're exempt, they don't give a hoot in hell about you or who gets the needle in their arm. Well, I can tell you, my son goes to public school here in New York City, and he's a healthy boy, he's a strong boy, and I'm not letting anyone put a needle in his arm. I actually regret having gotten the vaccine myself, but as I explained, I was put into financial ruin if I didn't get the vaccine because the businesses that I run, because I said earlier in this broadcast that I don't live off this podcast, at least not yet, I hope to, 
um, those businesses would have been crippled. I would not have been able to discharge uh, my duties in those businesses. I would not have been able to service clients if I did not have the vaccine. That aside, if I had worked for a government agency like these folks, where I was getting paid regardless, I would never get the vaccine. And I'm certainly not getting any booster shots. I've done all that I'm going to do. Uh, The only saving grace is that by the luck of the draw, I received the Moderna vaccine, and we now seem to know with long-term testing four months out from first vaccinations that, um, or more, that um, the Moderna seems to have the best effectiveness overall of the three big vaccines, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Johnson & Johnson. So just goes to show you that not much has changed in Washington. Uh, Those who make the laws don't want the laws to apply to them. It's as simple as that. But I started the show by talking about Jen Psaki. Now listen to the lunacy coming out of the mouth of this dumb twit. She was responding to a question posed by a reporter on whether the Border Patrol officers, when they get someone at the border, ask to see proof of vaccination against COVID-19 or a negative test result. Question, if somebody walks into the country right across the river, um, do they get tested? She said that illegal immigration is not comparable to foreign nationals, excuse me, tongue-tied today, who arrive by airplane to the United States. Yes, but I would think not. People who decide to walk across the Rio Grande uh, illegally in violation of our laws, not welcomed here, not invited here, I really don't know how you could compare them to foreign nationals who arrive legally by airplane to legal ports of entry which is curious because I want to know why those people who would like to follow our laws are treated so harshly and have to have all this proof of COVID-19 or negative tests, but those who come here in contradiction or contravention of our laws get whatever they want in violation of our laws. This question was prompted by the White House announcement on Monday that all foreign visitors need to be vaccinated and present proof of their vaccination before boarding a U.S.-bound flight. White House COVID-19 coordinator Jeff Zients said at a press conference that individuals also must show a negative COVID-19 test at least 72 hours before flying. Now, this is interesting. They're going to make people run through hoops to come here legally and spend their money, but people who want to come across the border illegally, no problem. Here's Jen Psaki's quote, quote, As individuals come across the border, they are both assessed for whether they have any symptoms. If they have symptoms, the intention is for them to have to be quarantined. The intention doesn't mean it's guaranteed. She said, referring to individuals illegally entering the southern border. That is our process. She said that both situations are not comparable. Well, I've already said they're not, and why? They're not intending to stay here for any lengthy period of time. Are you out of your mind? They're not intending to stay here for any lengthy period of time. That's exactly what they're intending to do. And that's exactly what you and your dementia-ridden piece of crap boss want them to do. You're trying to illegally inflate voter rolls and change the electorate and the entire political landscape of this country. 
They're staying here. They're getting subsidized. They're getting housing. They're getting welfare. They're getting more, in many cases, than people who have been here for for generations. They're getting more than American blacks are getting, I can tell you that. And they didn't ask to come here. They were dragged here. I'm not saying there's not a lot of welfare in the country, but these people are getting stuff they don't deserve. Now, President Biden has presided over what is now the worst border crisis in history, but they still seem to be blissfully unaware of it, or they just deny it, say it's not going to happen. Um, In terms of the numbers of illegal immigrants that U.S. agents have encountered, the number topped 200,000 in July and August. Do people really think we can continue to absorb people at this alarming rate with no end in sight? Counties along the southern border now have a positive COVID-19 rate of up to 40% in illegal immigrants. The city of Laredo, Texas, has now sued the federal government to block the transport and release of illegal immigrants into the city after the local non-governmental organizations became overwhelmed with the volume of untested illegal immigrants. This is what we're facing. This is what you have for leadership in the United States. So we have people, the world, I said the world is upside down and the lunatics were running the asylum when I began the show, and I'm tying it all together right now. You have people, on the one hand, who hated the vaccine when it was being developed under Donald Trump, said they wouldn't trust it, said they wouldn't take it. Within weeks, they all took it after they got elected. And now not only are they taking it, they're demanding that everyone else take it. And these are the same vaccines they said were no good. There's no new vaccines. The only vaccines that are out are the ones that were uh, developed under the aegis of Donald Trump and his administration. There's no new vaccines. Now all of a sudden they're good because they're in power. These are the people that want everyone to wear masks. They support firing people if they don't get vaccinated in not only government companies, but any private company if they got 100 or more people. They're going to fire you. Got to wear a mask. New York City, can't get a hamburger inside unless you're vaccinated. But you can traipse across the Rio Grande illegally, in violation of our laws, ignorant, uneducated, unable to do anything here except put your hand out and collect what the American taxpayer has worked so hard for to be misappropriated by the government under the aegis of taxation and redistributed to pieces of human garbage, in many cases. I don't know how else to say it, but that's okay. Those people don't need to be vaccinated. Meanwhile, of course, any legitimate people that want to come here to spend money in the United States on vacation and come here legally, if they're a foreign national, they have to jump through hoops as well. If you think there's something wrong with this and it's upside down, uh, you are very correct. You're not wrong in your thinking. So if you came here for validation of those thoughts because you've already had them, you are absolutely 100% correct. The lunatics are running the asylum. And let's not even get into the disaster of Afghanistan. We've spoken about that before and we'll be speaking about it again. Until next time, I'm Jamie Dury. See you tomorrow.